Hello, friends, and welcome to There's No People Like Show People, the podcast that connects and reconnects the theater community, inspires hope, and strives to help people not feel so alone. I am your host, Sarah Philobom. Hello, friends. We are thrilled to be back. Whether it's your first time listening to our podcast or you've listened to every single episode, we are so glad that you're here. There are so many ways to support There's No People Like Show People. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This really helps us out. Follow us on Instagram at There's No People Like Show People and check out our sister podcast called Transformation, the Untold Stories of Motherhood at Transformation Motherhood Pod. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. Honest storytelling is truly transformative and what we need most in the world is community and connection. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Oh, friends, I am just, oh, we are so thrilled to be back. We, we took a little break, and by a little break, I mean a really casual, sensible, five-month-long semester break, because you know what? We just needed it. Um, so, little fact, I graduated from the good old Shenandoah Conservatory back, at, back in 2009, and now I am back here teaching, and I'm loving it. I'm so honored. I love that some of my professors uh, are still here. Still here. Still here (laughs) teaching. And I am just thrilled to share this conversation with you today. So we have the the very, um, she has been teaching at Shenandoah for 20 years. 20 years. 20 years. And I'm pretty sure the last show that we did together, well, we did two shows, I think. It might have been more, but we did Father of the Bride. We did. And we also did The Grapes of Wrath. Yes, we did. And she was my voice and speech professor and also my accents and dialects professor. Yes. So if you notice this very round tone. And I do. I notice it. (laughs) It sounds beautiful. Thank you. She is a professor of theater here at Shenandoah University. Welcome to the podcast, Kirsten Trump. Thank you, Sarah Philibom. I'm so happy to be here with you. It's like old times. I know. It's like your energy is, is as, as vivacious as ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Oh, God, how are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. We just finished a, a semester, as you know. Mm-hmm. We have the year is in the can now. Yeah, summer break. Mm -hmm. Do you have any fun, like, summer vacations coming up? Summer vacations coming up? Well, we are taking a trip next week. We're going to Guatemala. Oh, Yeah, we're going to go to visit um, my daughter's uh, homeland and and see the sights and feel the culture. So that we're really looking forward to it. Aw, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. I know, before we started recording, we were actually talking about Kirsten's daughter, Ari. And I remember when I was here, she was, like, four, mm-hmm. maybe five years old, and now she's a teenager. Yes, she is. So it's funny how that happens. You blink. Yeah, and you blink, and there you blink. it is. And I know. Yeah. Well, and now I have a four-year-old. There it's it is. full circle. <laughs> full full circle. circle. I'm telling you, Sarah, it's crazy. 
How did that happen? I don't even know. And I remember, Sarah, we're, we're digressing, but yeah. um, one of my fondest memories, well, I have many of, of you, because really, the, the energy in the room was always, like, top-notch, <laughs> but when you turned 21... You uh, wore a sash and a crown. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> you, wore, you wore it all day. All day. Yep. Yes. I think I wore like an old prom dress. <laughs> like I pretended like I was like a queen for the day. Yeah. And I wore this pink sash that I had my boyfriend because he was a graphic designer. Mm. So I forced him to make me this sash with like calligraphy and he wrote he wrote Miss Twenty Wonderful on it. Yeah. Miss Twenty Wonderful. Miss Twenty Wonderful. And I had a full crown with like rhinestones yeah. and a yeah, scepter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was and, your day. Yeah, I went to class like that. We went to the bar like that. Like, <laughs> oh my God. I can't believe you remember. Well, how could you how forget, you that? forget, that? <laughs> you forget right? that? Yeah, time stopped there for a second. Right. <laughs> Just for Miss 20 Wonderful back in, oh gosh, 2008. Wow. Here we are, 2023. Um, so where where are you from? Like, where did you grow up? How did you first get into theater? And mm-hmm. do you remember, like, what is the first show that you ever did? Yes, I laughed when I saw those preliminary questions. I'm from Berkeley Springs, West Virginia, which is, you might remember, I commuted for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's right up the road and uh, from Winchester. And I, my father was big time into theater, and he did great voices and he did recordings and and he just always had a hand in that creative element and so I think that was my first step in just kind of observing him and then seeing the accolades and and just the appreciation that people have for his his ability um when I tried to remember my first my first show I think what I could come up with was fourth grade and I was the pile of leaves <laughs> for a production of Wiggle Worm. Oh. So it was a fourth grade show. The main character was Wiggle Worm, and I was the pile of leaves. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> did, um, did the pile of leaves speak? Did you have any lines? Oh, I did. I had lines. I don't remember the lines, but I, I did have some lines. <laughs> but I didn't have to carry the show. But, but I, you know, I, I had this outfit on and there were you know leaves mm-hmm. stapled to the front of my costume and it was really it was quite quite the experience and and I loved it I mean mm-hmm. I even then I loved being the pile of leaves so mm-hmm. did you so then where did you do your undergrad and then your graduate degrees mm-hmm. and what were they in and then how did you come to be here at Shenandoah yeah wow that's a long that's that was a journey so from Berkeley Springs High School which we just had a very gifted director and he did it all you know because he loved theater he didn't get paid extra to do it or anything just um but but um, a wonderful director and would just take on projects because he thought, though, this student could do this or that student could do that. And so a lot of attention to detail. Um, I decided to go to Catholic University. That was back in, I graduated from high school in 1981 and uh, went to Catholic. And they had a great uh, theater program and a BFA program. And... Um, it was on the the cusp of, of sort of a turnover of the uh, golden age of their acting program there mm-hmm. you know what started with um father hartke and and then the bill graham as the head of the program and some really wonderful teachers and just a foundational education that i'm 
I was so grateful to come away with from there. Um, and then uh, what happened after that? Oh, did I did uh, went to Florida, graduated college, went to Florida, did a couple shows down there, and then came home and worked at a local radio station in Berkeley Springs at the time. I worked as a DJ, and began to think about going back to graduate school. And at first I was looking at broadcasting programs and then I thought, well, if I'm going to go back, I really would like to study more theater. So I, I looked into a graduate program at West Virginia and applied and auditioned and got an assistantship and a fellowship to, uh, to study and to teach at West Virginia University. So I got my graduate degree there. And again, that just proved to be a wonderful opportunity. I just had a master acting teacher at the time, and then uh, my lifelong mentor, Ed Herondine, who went from there to Shepherdstown and started the Contemporary American Theater Festival, which is still going gangbusters. He's retired, but what a wonderful training ground and a wonderful family for for all these years to be able to call my my family and to just learn trial by fire what I teach now you know I think mm-hmm. I I got hired as an actor there the first the premier summer 1991 and he said hey can you teach everybody else in the cast some dialects and I was like well I guess I could <laughs> let me give it a try and from there just one dialect at a time building that muscle and I'm forever grateful for that still consider myself family with the, that company and they're they're going strong you know after the pandemic they're back up and running and excited for for their season this summer nice and i started here did i answer your question um in 2003 mm-hmm. so it has been 20 20 years wow so that's kind of that's been the journey i oh i you know i went to new york after graduate school and taught there at the american academy of dramatic arts for about 5 years and and then came back toward to the area mm-hmm. and then was fortunate enough to to apply for a new job for specifically for a voice and speech teacher and and got it at that time it was a brand new position so it was great yeah and it's been great ever since I mean there's never a dull moment oh no I you know there's still I mean there are shining stars that you'd never forget like Sarah Philibon <laughs> but there's just uh, just this open door and yeah. beautiful young artists coming through it all the time. And and even though you're pulling out something that might be your favorite piece of text to work with, it's a whole new group of people that you're introducing it to. And so it's always alive and new what you're doing. You know, it's... Yeah. What So like over the 20 years, like what is something that you find yourself often like I, like I don't know words of wisdom or advice to your students like what is something that you've always find yourself saying over and over and over again like do you have little like catchphrases mm. or you know I don't know it could could be anything well you know I, I have I don't know if I have any catchphrases per se I'm gonna quote some Shakespeare yes but um I feel like, you know, there's no right or wrong. I do say that a lot in class. There are there are stronger choices and weaker mm-hmm. choices, but there's not necessarily any right or wrong in in terms of your study of 
an art form because everybody's different. But we're looking uh, as artists for the strongest choices to create a character. So in terms of the artistic life of things and like say in an acting classroom or in, in a speech classroom, I feel like that's an important thing. I also think over the years, there are times when people discover something new about themselves and they're kind of afraid to go on a different path, mm-hmm. say, to branch out into, say, directing or, or man- management or even switching completely. That it, that any change, it's not a failure, you know, it's just a, it's just an opportunity for discovery that you've gone you're you've gone on your path to here and it's led you to the next the next, you know, part of the journey down mm-hmm. down a, a different path. So I think that that comes up a good bit in academia with students who might have a want their first couple years and think they want to be an actor. And sometimes they discover that they want to be something else. Mm-hmm. So I think just to say, hey, it's okay, yeah, too, you know, that art can always be part of your life. Um, my favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes probably is Mother Teresa. And she said, we must all participate in our own salvation. So if we struggle, you know, we have to have the strength and the courage to keep going, to get on our feet, to stay on our feet, and and to participate in that transformation when mm-hmm. we when we hit some roadblocks or hard hard time. I love that quote. Yeah, that it has it's so simple and yet substantive. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are their quotes? Well, you know, speaking of struggles, like, what do you think are some of the things, like, looking back, like, what are some things that you have really struggled with? It can be as a performer or as a teacher or mm-hmm. on your theater, anything at all, personal struggles, professional struggles, like, what has been, what has been challenging for you? Yes, challenging. Um, well, you know, we all know the past few years have been very challenging and not only with the pandemic, but and in theater, you know, we've been trying to really think about how we present material and content and make it inclusive mm-hmm. and looking at ourselves, self-reflection on, you know, even language that you use to teach content that that has been that has been challenging because we've had students who have just struggled to feel like they belong under the circumstances of the past few years and trying to write that and to make it better and to not at the very least not cause harm but to create an environment that supports and celebrates and mm-hmm. and does the best that it can for all of our our student population and so it 
and and we're still working on it, and I'm still working on it, and you know, just I think that's probably been the most important, the most important thing that has happened in recent years. The pandemic was hard, and that was a mess, and yeah. doing teaching on Zoom, and but but making sure that students feel comfortable and feel that they belong. Right. And that just keeps, you know, keep working on that, keep working on that, no matter what the the challenge or uh, what, you know, whatever the, um, you know, the um, diversity might be or um, the learning challenge might be that, you know, we all don't learn the same way mm-hmm. and we need to address that in a positive way for all our students, not just expect them to learn it the way I learned it mm-hmm. 20 years ago or 30 years ago or whatever, you know, right. times have changed. So uh, Yeah, they really have. Mm-hmm. Well, and I just think there's so much more technology now mm, yes. than, you, you know, even when I went to school, which feels like a million, like it was long ago, but I guess it wasn't that long ago. I don't like, what is time? Really? Like, <laughs> I was time. How, how do you even define the, yeah. con- the concept of time? Your young talent here <laughs> in the room. <laughs> Like how? Like one of the biggest questions after we are coming back from the little break that we took. Um, I'm curious to know, like, what do you? How do you feel about leadership? Mm. What do you think makes an effective leader? And how do you think that our leaders can lead us with more compassion, empathy, humanity, and sort of, and take more action so that we can move forward? Mm-hmm. Compassion is a great word. I think I think a leader does have to have confidence, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to confuse that with ego. Yeah. And I personally like a leader who leads with the heart, for sure, with compassion, but doesn't have to be broadcasting, hey, I'm a leader. You know, I'm, I'm in charge. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me. And, yeah. And, and honestly, there's so many, I mean, there are, there's leadership with titles and there certainly is much leadership that happens without a title and just a graciousness and an empathy, as you say, but, but I, I think a strong leader just quietly supports mm. the people that they're leading. I like that. Kind of steps out of the way mm-hmm. for, I know from a teaching point of view and from a directing point of view, mm-hmm. it's about, okay, now the spotlight's on you and not, necessarily on me so I mean that cannot might not be exactly the case for for leaders all leaders but when I look at my own role as a leader if I'm like a director of a show or or the teacher of a classroom uh how how do I do that it's about getting out of the way yeah yeah well it's also about um I think letting other people shine yes Mm -hmm. that's a great way to put it Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's about like, yeah, right, getting out of their way and mm-hmm. sort of supporting them mm-hmm. 
um, and trusting them mm-hmm. and, and sort of helping them and guiding them so that like it's there. You're right. I, I feel like it is a fine, fine line between confidence and ego, especially in this business, because how many leaders do you, and this can be, you know, at any level, um, it doesn't even have to be theater related. It could be in mm-hmm. other businesses and especially in government and structures like that. But it's like you see this person who sometimes they're like the loudest person shouting in the room. And so people think that it's that it oh they're confident or oh mm-hmm. we must follow them because clearly they know what they're talking about but I call it like look at me look at me syndrome like look at how great I am and look at all of my accomplishments and yeah. look, look you you should follow me because blah 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 and I just see someone who's you know <laughs> kind of pompous pompous or I think sometimes we see that and it's it, it might be out of insecurity oh, believe it or yeah. not you know right but yeah I'm sure if you're the CEO of a corporation, that's a different kind of leader right? than the kind of leadership that happens every day at, at all these different levels mm-hmm. of, of just supporting to get the best result for whatever group you're, you're working with you right. know, and, and quietly done. Mm-hmm. I, I think of that as leadership mm. a lot of times. Yeah, almost like the the the, si- the silent leader. The silent leader, yeah. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. How do you define success? Being able to sleep at night. <laughs> being a lot of it is about about being at peace with with choices and decisions. Certainly, um, that's the. For me, the most, um, it just feels the most important, but obviously being able to um, provide for a family and and have a roof over your head and mm-hmm. gas in the car and that kind of thing, that's, that's success to me. I guess everybody's success is different. But when I, when I'm able to just feel um feel in harmony with all the things around me that's when I feel the most whole or the most successful that it doesn't feel like it takes a whole lot it just the when things feel off kilter then it's like it 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 doesn't feel as you know as rhythmic or as harmonious and I and I feel like that's what makes me feel successful is is getting along with everybody around me and mm-hmm. working together. Yeah. How, like moving forward, because there has been so much change, like specifically over the last couple of years. And now we're, we're like living in this, it's weird to say the words that we live in a post pandemic world, mm-hmm. but it's also true. It feels like this weird, like post apocalyptic movie that, you know, that you watch yes. and then you're like, oh, but it's like reality. It's like, we're living it. Like, what do you want to see change? Um, it could be out in the theater world. It could be at the, you know, university theater. Like, what do you really want to see change now? In the theater world, I would I would love for us to 
aspire and achieve uh, all those uh, things that that do allow for people to feel included with you know seat at the table I would like for us to have that and also be able to breathe breathe life into um the ability to um relax a little bit too with that with with our world we're we're kind of tense and on edge out of fear of doing things wrong mm-hmm. and um just more uh, a little bit of grace there to to see the human being in the room with you and and I think if we're able to do that then those elements of inclusivity that we're working toward will be able to achieve those. I don't know if I made sense, did it? Yeah, no, I th- the thing that stuck out to me the most is when you said to, to see the human being in the room with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that has to do with presence, mm-hmm. you know, being present. And not even just seeing just the strengths or the good, but the whole human being mm-hmm. in, in the room with you. And the collective, you know, and then the collective. Because, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of what we do is the ensemble work. Mm-hmm. And, and that's important. I hope I answered the question. I don't. I don't know if I did. I don't know if I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I. I think exactly. I. I one of the, the biggest questions that I come back to is in the theater world. Like it's this one sentence, and I can't remember if I listened to it somewhere or if I read it in something. But I think the theater is. We are, um, and I even feel weird saying the words "we are in the business" because, well, yes, it is a business, but it's also like when you're doing a show why do you do shows? Like, what's the point? Why? Mm-hmm. Like, you're storytelling, maybe you're trying to teach lessons, maybe you're just trying to make people feel more connected and bring people together, but we really are supposed to be portraying the human condition. Mm-hmm. And I feel like half the time in this business, I put in air quotes, that we call show, why is there such a lack of humanity when we are portraying the human, con- it's confusing. It's like yeah. two things are just really but- butting heads right, there. Right, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, I, I agree wholeheartedly, you know, ideally, the ideal would be, you know, we're doing shows to affect our audience, to affect the humanity that comes to see it, to explore that as artists, to bring that to life. And... In academia, sometimes it's hard to achieve that. We might pick a show and and then have difficulty casting it mm-hmm. because we don't really have all the um, exact appropriate people to play the parts. So that's one that's a good example of right. of where we are right now and, and just being mindful of that and, and being more careful. Um Yeah. Yeah. Or it's also, I think it might be difficult, you know, when you're, what, 19, 20, 21, 22. It's like, it's, how do you play a mother or a father or a Mm -hmm. grandmother? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, how do you play that wisdom in like those decades of years of life when you 
don't have when you haven't lived through it yet because right, you're right. still you know because you're young like I would imagine that's difficult I would too. imagine that is too of course I played older characters in my day because you know my height mm-hmm. I would appear older yeah I remember Grapes of Wrath yeah you know you were playing a married character there mm-hmm. like an older woman yeah an, an older woman under dire circumstances mm-hmm. and uh, I would I would argue that you you understood the humanity in in that person, so that kind of age wasn't as important as the human factor there. Mm. You know, yeah, I, I see because I do feel like the students who were in that cast. It's been a while, mm-hmm. but what a story! Uh, right, we know the story, yeah. and. And you all took it so seriously and portrayed that that human struggle to the best of your ability mm-hmm. and very believably and truthfully. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, you're using your imagination to do that, right? Right. If you're not the right exact age to do it. You're using right. that gift of imagination, which is part of, of the artistic process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, or the acting as if, or mm-hmm. right, putting mm-hmm. yourself in somebody else's shoes. Yeah, that makes sense. That is true. I have also often played older characters than, but now it's so strange because looking back, when I played someone who was older when I was young, I, I would love to return to that role oh, yeah. and actually being closer or that age or closer mm-hmm. to, because I feel like it would be a much richer. You know what I mean? Right. More rounded yeah. Yeah. <laughs> performance than yes. it was. So we talk dif- about dream roles around here a lot, you know, uh, Tennessee Williams. We would love mm-hmm. to like play some of those older, older, uh, now I'm age appropriate for them to, to bring them to life. Yes. Do you only direct plays or do you also direct musicals or no, just, just plays? I have not directed musicals since I've been here. Do you like musicals? I do like music. Okay, that's good because yeah. some okay, there there's two camps here. Uh-huh. There's the people who are like um I only, you know, plays are only real theater. Like I only like plays and then musicals are like, you know, a bunch of frou-frou or you know, they <laughs> they act and then it's a bunch of crazy nonsense or there's people who like I oh, I love musicals, but plays are so boring. Like when are they going to burst out into song? True. You know what I mean? Yes. Then you, well, then there okay, there's a third kid of people who like both. So, um, and also, like, I think there tends to be, you tend to sort of lean one way or the other a little mm-hmm. bit. Like, I'm a person who, like, I like plays, I can appreciate, but I love musicals. Yes. You know? Yes, okay. And I can say, I love plays. But you like musicals. And I do like musicals. And there, of course, there are some musicals that, they're, they're just works of art mm-hmm. beyond compare and you have to love them too right okay well then I, I was I usually ask people like what's your favorite musical but I'm gonna ask you first what's your favorite play oh my favorite play favorite play. well you know we don't see them done so much but when we go back to the history class and and I have had the opportunity to see someone but I love Eugene O'Neill plays mm-hmm. uh, they're just so rich and so the humanities out there for you to to take in the darkness of the characters the hope the despair 
-hmm. The writing is just exquisite. And I would say Long Day's Journey, Desire Under the Elms, those those are just so rich and beautiful to me. I, I don't know that anybody could do anything better. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are many more plays that are beautiful, too. But Yeah. And what's your favorite musical? I thought about this, uh, Sarah. It's hard, hard to say. But I, I would say overall, you know, when I was living in New York, anytime anybody came to visit us, we would take them to see Les Mis. Yeah. And, and I think, again, it's just... As soon as the overture starts, you know, it just does something mm-hmm. to your soul. And the singing and the staging, the production value, so high, mm-hmm. so high that it's just an exquisite experience. And, I, you know, the, the tonal quality of it, something about it just kind of just, it just makes my heart beat yeah you know for well the music is so powerful Mm -hmm. yeah you know like it really really stays with you like long after the performances yes is over with yeah Yeah. but the performances too Mm -hmm. you know the singing is beautiful powerful do you have like a favorite theater of all the shows you've done a favorite theater memory or story (laughs) that you would like to leave our listeners with today oh my gosh a favorite story yeah it could be something that crazy that happened or something unexpected or something that um could be heartfelt like any just anything that really like sticks out in your mind well first of all anything that you performed in Sarah Philavon. <laughs> You're just saying that. You're just um, saying that because it's my podcast. But I gosh. appreciate the flattery. Thank you. <laughs> you know, that is so hard. I, I get I think it's it's plays that I've had the opportunity to direct that that really have the best interest of humanity at heart, you know. That they're serious probably. I love comedy, but you know, I'm thinking of Pussy Riot. I'm looking at this uh, poster here that a student drew. Mm-hmm. And um, we did that before the pandemic. And it was a story about the the punk rock group in Russia and their resistance to the Putin regime. And we did this was a quiet time when we did this. Russia wasn't even on the radar for us. It was... Pussy Riot was quiet, and we did the play, and as we did the research, we realized that the the journalist is representative of over 90 journalists who have been murdered in that country, and then uh, the hunger strike of a person protesting, and then, you know, it just, all of a sudden we had done the play, and then it just started picking up, you see more and more in the news about Russia, and where we are right now. Uh, just the reflection on that, the journey that there were voices uh, resisting this so long ago, and now we see where it is. Um, when something like that happens, and you just you thinking, wow, that that's amazing to think that these people really exist. They still exist, and they're still fighting this, and and it's it's so real. Um, I think it's those types of plays, Trojan Women, another one. You know, just 
2,500 years ago, Euripides wrote a play, and then you study it, and you're seeing refugees in the news and women being abused, yeah. and the relevance that it still ha- holds today. It kind of takes your breath away. Mm-hmm. Grapes of Wrath, the struggle yeah. of the Dust Bowl, and so the, it's those types of plays. They really have staying power. They stick with you and and make you think, beyond the two hours in the theater right exactly so those types of plays yeah um kirsten just thank i want to say thank you so much i want to say thank you (laughs) (laughs) for so for so many things um for being a wonderful human being a wonderful teacher um you are one of those people who you really care about your students and you really believe in them. And, and you always really believed in me. And always. I think that, and I think my freshman year, I'm pretty sure my first ever main stage show that I was cast in was a show that you were, was Father of the Bride. That, oh, that, that, that zany direct, comedy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> I know. I feel like we've been talking about a lot of like heavy yeah, drama. Yeah, heavy drama. Okay. Heavy drama. Let's that was talk, a lot of fun. Let's talk about one comedy. Yeah, we did have a lot of fun. <laughs> we just laughed a lot. Yeah. And that's okay too. Yeah. We and need I, that. Well, and I think sometimes, you know, when you're young and you're in a you're a college student and you're like oh my god I'm majoring in theater and like is this even like what I'm supposed to be doing with my life and I think you just need those people along your journey and then along your way who just really believe in you and and give you a lot of hope and they say like no like you are so talented like keep going like keep auditioning keep creating you know create your own work like if if there's not a door then build it or you know like stuff like that and so you've just clearly you've been here for 20 years so you it flew by it has flown by (laughs) so but that's amazing um just thank you so much for all your work and you're um, welcome but thank you you know the beautiful students are what keep us here and uh, keep us feeling you know connected to this incredible industry you know we're in it in a in kind of a fair our own little bubble but we get to live and play and Mm -hmm. and hopefully steward people like you you know going out and doing great things like you're doing and that makes it all worthwhile thank you do you have a quote to to end today, a, a Shakespeare quote, a Mother Teresa quote, a, a Kirsten Trump quote. Okay. Okay, here we go. Shakespeare, uh, this is Twelfth Night, and I just, I write this on every every wedding card, you know, of a young couple getting married or someone going off and doing something. Joy, gentle friends, joy, and fresh days of love accompany your hearts. Mr. Shakespeare. <laughs> yes. Oh, what a, what a beautiful way to end this episode. Um, yes, thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. Love ya. Love ya. <laughs>